All right, Father's Day. It's, it seems appropriate for me to be here on Father's Day. I love preaching on Father's Day because the ministry that God called me to 35 years ago was to the fatherless. Hey, uh, Christine is, is uh, here. She's going to be joining our staff here pretty soon. So uh, you're going to have a member of your staff in ministry full time. So uh, you can keep praying for her because she's going to need it. Uh, it's, uh, it's a big job, and um, from what I hear, you've been doing a lot of work here at the church, and everybody sings your praises too, so Christine, I'm excited about you coming on staff. Uh, Father's Day is, um, is a meaningful day for me, but especially this one, because this is the first Father's Day that I don't have somebody to call to say, Happy Father's Day, Dad. Uh, I'm like a lot of uh, people who lost somebody, um, not through COVID, but uh, was unable to, I was unable to see my father uh, for the year of COVID. Um, so, uh, matter of fact, his funeral was just this last Sunday. So, it's, um, uh, it's, it's a special day. I, I heard it said one time that Father's Day or, or being a father is hereditary. Uh, and it's, it's a pretty good chance that if your father did not have children, you wouldn't have children either. Um, I'll let you think about that one. Um, I've also heard it said that hurt people hurt people. Uh, the first one is a joke, and the second one is definitely not. Uh, because of the fact that um, we all know people who have been hurt, and probably the deepest wounds that we can get here on earth is uh, wounds from a father wound or a wound from our father not being there or not being the person that we had hoped he would be or being disappointed in one way or another. Uh, my father was a pastor. He, he was a Princeton grad, very, very bright. In the 60s, he moved us all into Newark, New Jersey. Um, I was the only white kid in my class for many years. Uh, we were there during the 67 riots. Uh, all kinds of things uh, happened while we were in Newark, New Jersey. My father had the ability to minister to just about anybody, but he didn't think that we needed it that bad. So he worked seven days a week, and um, he always had bringing people into our home and just didn't have a sense of how to protect his family or watch out for him. So I had um, issues in terms of my own issues because of um, how I was raised and, and the things that happened and um, really uh, some of the neglect that I felt. And it took me a long time to get it figured out and to receive that healing. And I know that some of you probably have some of those same kind of things. Uh, it's, it's pretty normal. It's pretty usual. Um, that fathers fail uh, a whole lot more than mothers fail. Uh, matter of fact, uh, I was ministering in the Nassau County Jail for two years. And uh, right before uh, Mother's Day, we brought in 100 Mother's Day cards. And as soon as we showed the kids the Mother's Day cards, these were 16 to 19-year-old uh, kids, they all grabbed their cards and went off to a lonely place to write and all you could hear was writing and how do you spell wonderful? You know, these kind of things. And when Father's Day came up, we brought in 100 Father's Day cards. 
One card was taken. One card. You know, 85% of the kids that are in jail come from a home without a dad. Uh, every single statistic that you can think of uh, in terms that's, that's negative um, is connected with fatherlessness. I received an email today from a missionary who trains missionaries. And they said that they've realized that just this year they've started dealing with the fatherlessness in the missionary's heart before they go on to the mission field because until they deal with this fatherless pain within themselves, they're not going to be able to deal effectively on the mission field to so many who are fatherless themselves. So as I think of Father, Father's Day, I think um, the best gift that we can give to our fathers, if we haven't done it yet, is to forgive. To forgive our fathers. I believe my father really did the best he could. You know, I, I've read in the last number of years about 20, 25 books on World War II. No idea why I did it, just got into it. Started reading. And it hit me about book 18 when they were describing boot camp and all this kind of stuff. That my father went into World War II when he was 18 years old. He went to boot camp. His father had gone through the Great Depression where he was working tremendous hours, 15, 15 cents an hour pruning trees in Yakima, Washington. So he was hardly there for my father. So my father learned that to be a man was, I don't care how you feel, I don't care what you think, just do what I say to do. And that generation grew up knowing that that's how you lead. And that's what my father, how my father led. My father led, it, it was high uh, discipline and low relationship. Dobson uh, tells us that high, high discipline and low relationship leads to rebellion. Well, when you think of the 60s, what did we have but rebellion that came out of uh, the fatherless leadership of that gener World War II generation? So it really ties in. So the first thing we need to do is to ask God to help us forgive because oftentimes when we have a father wound, we say, you know what he did? He needs to apologize to me. Well, that's not how it works. If we hold on to bitterness, uh, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. God calls us to, to forgive, and then he feels, fills that heart and that pain and heals the wound within us. And then we have the power and the ability to go to our own children and ask them to forgive us for our failings. And I, that's just a picture how I see it. And, uh, and i got to tell you, I don't think I received uh, the full healing from my father's wound until about four years ago. And I went, uh, I had memories that came up, and I actually went to therapy to help, to just to talk to somebody to help me deal with it. And one of the things that the therapist said was, all of the uh, negative things that your father didn't do didn't discount all the good that he did do. And I really believe that that's true. And I also believe that my father did the very best he could with what he had. And uh, the, the promise is, no matter what kind of father we have, we all have a father in heaven who, if we let him, if we forgive, then he can fill that need that we all have for that father relationship 
and enable us to be the men and women he calls us to be. Well, so I've been able to see my father, and um, I have never done this in a long time, probably 30 years, but I'm going to read a page that I wrote right after I saw my father uh, for the last time. My father was a pastor. I, have one of, I am one of many who lost their father during this past year. He did not die of COVID, but was unable to, I was unable to visit him for over a year. Then came the call. The funeral was last week. There's nothing funny about Alzheimer's. It is a slow, it is called the slow goodbye because you slowly lose the personality and shared memories that make up relationships until your loved one does not even know who you are. But we have chosen to enjoy the moments and even give ourselves permission to laugh at the conversations that were often repeated. Um, my mother and father were married until my mother died when she was about 65 years old from an accident. And then she married, uh, my father married one of her good friends that my mother discipled. And they were married for 25 years. And in this last year, my father gets up and Willa, his, his second wife, had breakfast all made. And he goes and sits down and he looks across the table and he goes, we have a relationship, right? And she says, yeah, can we do? He shakes his head and he pauses and he goes, uh, do we live together? And she said, yeah, can we do? Are we married? Yeah, we are. Oh, good. <laughs> he, was, he was quite excited that um, after all these years, he wasn't uh, living in sin. Um, but that's one of those uh, stories, and there are many. Uh, so the call came, and, and I was told to come fast if I wanted to see my father before he died. He lived in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. It is usually a two-and-a-half-hour drive. Halfway there, I got another call from the same nurse telling me that he's sitting up in bed eating breakfast. I told them I was on my way and asked if I could still see him, and they said under the circumstances I could. So here they thought my father was dying, but he ended up not, but I got to see him, which was uh, really a gift that, that God gave me. Um, I was planning on being there for several hours, but after several attempts to make small talk, I was wondering how I would engage him. Um, he would just look off in the corner of the room, and he was just sitting there like this. And I introduced myself. I said, I said, Dad, my name is John. I'm your second son. And he's looking off to the side, and he said, um, John, do you think it's a sin that I can't recognize my own son? And I said, Dad, no, I'm sure it's not. And so he said, okay, good. And I really couldn't make, I couldn't make uh, small talk with him. So, and after knowing I'm going to be there for three or four hours, I didn't know what I was going to do. He just was staring off. It, it reminded me of um, a deer we used to have in our living room when I grew up. And, you know, the deer's eyes were kind of dead. Well, that's how his eyes looked, like there was nothing behind them. And uh, so finally I pulled out my phone and started showing him pictures of his family. Um, my brothers and my sister and his grandkids and all the people that he had loved but didn't know who they were. But it seemed like he still loved them even though he didn't know 
who they were, if you know what I'm saying. So we went through there for about 45 minutes, and then I didn't know what to do. So I said, uh, Dad, would you like me to read from the Bible? And he said, yes. And he leaned back. I said, Dad, what would you like to hear? And he said, the truth. Uh, I was as surprised as you are that that kind of depth would come from him at this time. So I pulled out uh, the Psalms, and I started reading the Psalm that was very dear to our family when we would go camping, Psalm 121. And I read, I lift up my eyes to the hills, and he smiled. And my father said, from whence cometh my help? I stopped and I looked at him. Now this is a man that doesn't know his own son. I said, um, my help cometh from the Lord. And he smiled again as if he was a child knowing the answer in fourth grade. He says, my help cometh from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. And we went through that verse by verse, saying this song. I would say one verse, he would do another, until we got to the end. Then he said, now he's a child, and he's excited. He's leaning forward. He says, read Psalm 100. So I read the first, and he read the second. He said the second from memory. I read the third. He read the fourth. And we were going back and forth, and, I'm, and he was alive. He was behind his eyes. He was excited. And I said, Dad, you have the word of God in your heart. And he said, well, that's where it's supposed to be. He said, that's why you should train your child up in the way that they should go and teach them God's word so when they're like me, they'll know his word. I said, oh, my goodness, who is this guy? So then I, uh, I had been reading from John uh, 21, the story of when after the resurrection, um, Peter decided to go fishing. I really think, as I thought about it, Peter was um, ashamed of the fact that he had denied Christ three times. And so when a man feels incompetent about something, it's probably the worst you can feel. Uh, as a man. I don't know if it's true for a woman too, but uh, for a man, if he feels incompetent, it's a terrible feeling. I, I think Peter felt like a failure as a disciple, so he wanted to do what he was good at. Let's go fishing. Well, six other disciples said, I'm going with you. So they went fishing. So I started telling this story, and he's leaning forward. He's really into it. But as we went into it, I could tell he didn't quite understand who the characters in the story were. I'm thinking, isn't this interesting? This man who has his doctorate in theology probably preached 2,000 sermons in his life who knew more than I'll ever know about the Word of God. So I said, Dad, let me go back a ways and give you a little background about the relationship between Peter and Jesus. And he said, oh, that'd be great. So I went to Luke 5. I said, Jesus was walking down the shore, and uh, a crowd was gathering him, so he decided to get into a boat. Now there were fishermen alongside the river, and they were mending their nets, and Jesus got into the boat of Peter. And he said to Peter, Peter, pull back a little bit into the water so that I can teach. And so Jesus talked. And then after he got done teaching the crowd, he turned to Peter and says, Peter, pull out into the water a little bit deeper so you can catch some fish. Now, it was in the middle of the day. Fishermen only fished at night. And Peter said, 
but Jesus, we've been fishing all night. We didn't catch a thing. We got skunked. But because you say so, I'm pulling out and letting down my nets, which was a lot of work. And they just got finished cleaning them. And Jesus, by the way, I'm about to go home. It's closing hour. I want to go home and get some rest. These nets are lead-weighted. They're heavy. And now I'm going to have to clean them again. But say, since you say so, I'm going to do it. So he goes out, lays down the nets, so filled these nets were about to break. He had never seen anything like it, but for a split second, this fisherman was all fishermen, forgot that Jesus was there, called his buddies over. They filled these, both these boats, and all of a sudden, after seeing this catch that they had never seen before, Peter was amazed, and all with him were amazed. And I looked at my father, and he was amazed. And I thought, how often do I read this word, these historical stories? And I have never been amazed. Why? These aren't flannel board stories. This is historical stories, the word of the living God. Amazed. I got to tell you, my father on that day preached the most powerful message to me. His son, when he was at his weakest point in his life, he was amazed. And then I went on in the story. And I went on and I gave him a summary. Ma'am, do you need some water? Okay. I'm not bothered by it, if, so don't, don't be concerned. <laughs> um, so then he went into the, um, the Sermon on the Mount, and he talked about, Jesus talked about divorce and oath and, and loving your enemies and giving to the needy. He, he taught on prayer. He taught on fasting about our, our treasures in heaven. Not, he called us not to worry. About, he talked about judging others. He talked about the wise and foolish builders. And in the end, his summary was this. Those who hear these words of mine and put them into practice is like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rains come down, the waters rise up, the winds blow and beat against the house, but it does not fall. Why? Because it's built upon the rock of hearing and doing the word of God. Now he's talking to us. But those who hear these words of mine and do not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The same rains come down, the same waters rise up, the same winds blow and beat against the house, but it falls with a great crash. Why? Because their life is built upon the sand of hearing and not doing the word of God. And as Jesus and his disciples walk down from the mount, he's greeted by a leper. The lowliest person in society had to walk through the streets saying, unclean, unclean. And this leper says to Jesus, if you will, 
you can make me clean. Jesus says, I will. His skin was clean. The sores disappeared. How can we not be amazed by that? Shortly thereafter, after leaving the lowliest of person in society, one of the highest of society comes by, a Roman centurion, and said, Lord, this guy called him Lord. Can you imagine how the disciples felt when this man on the horse who leads all, leads all these soldiers comes by and says, Lord, I, I'm just picturing these disciples saying, I'm with him, yeah, I am with him. This guy just called him Lord. I am with him. One of my servants is paralyzed. But you say the word, and he'll be healed. And Jesus said the word, and he was healed. I went on just giving this summary to my father. A little while after that, he hears about the death of his, of his cousin, John the Baptist. And he was in mourning. And he and his disciples got in a boat to get away so that he can pray to his heavenly father. He wanted to be alone. Now, who wouldn't want that? They got in a boat and they went to a desolate place. But the crowd, somebody told the crowd where they were going. I can imagine if it was me and I was Jesus at that point. And I saw this crowd when I showed up in my desolate place. I wanted to be alone. I said, okay, which one of you guys ratted me out and said where I was going? But that's not what he did. He saw the crowd, 5,000 men plus women and children. Why they only counted men, I don't know. And they were there for a healing. And all day long, Jesus healed the multitude. And at the end of the day, the disciples came and said, Jesus, send them away. We have no food. And Jesus said, you feed them. He says, all we got is a few fish and a few loaves of bread. He said, bring me what you have. And this is exactly what he says to us today. One of the, thi one of the reasons why I'm here is because there are five boys within five miles of this church who have asked, who don't have a father, this Father's Day, have asked for a Christian man to spend two to three hours a week with him. I've asked God if he would call three out of this church this morning. What it takes is if you fill out this insert that I have up here, somewhere up here I have it, I promise you, we will call you by Tuesday. We will uh, ask you some questions. We will invite you to an orientation, and after the orientation, we will talk with you, and then between you and us, we will decide if this is part of God's call in your life. Only about one out of three men that step forward to do this, we really feel is called. So I want to ask you to consider, is God calling you to his mission field to spend two to three hours a week with one boy who's five miles away from this church? Oftentimes, you know, especially the men, 
will say, what do I have here? Who am I? We only have a few loaves of bread and a few fish, and Jesus just says, bring me what you have. And he fed the multitude. And when he got done feeding the multitude, he told his disciples, get in the boat, go to Bethsaida, and I'm going to spend the evening praying with my Heavenly Father. So they got in the boat. He dismissed the crowd, and he went up on this bluff where he could be alone with the Lord. And it said on the fourth watch of the night, which is between uh, three in the morning and six in the morning, he knew that the disciples still hadn't gone that four miles to get across the sea. Why? Because the wind was against them. Now oftentimes, when the wind is against us in life, we sit there and wonder, God, is this your will? Did I miss something here? Didn't you promise me that everything was going to go good if, if I follow you? Interesting point here is Jesus sent them in the boat, told them where to go. They were on their way there, and the wind was against them. The end of the Sermon on the Mount, those who heard his word and put it into practice, and those who heard his word and did not put it into practice got the same storms. So when we experience storms in our life, we shouldn't be surprised because they're promised. Storms are a part of life. The difference is what happens when, G when the disciples were in the boat and they had been rowing and trying to get across that water. Can you imagine? They were soaking wet. Their arms and their shoulders were just screaming. And Jesus comes walking by. And they're afraid. But they invited him into the boat, and the storm ceased. And that's what we can do, is to invite Jesus to join us in when the storms come in our lives. So here I am, speaking to my dad. He's really into this story. It's building between this relationship between Jesus and Peter. Until we get to the upper room. And he, Jesus tells the disciples that they're going to they're gonna scatter. And Peter says, uh, not me. I'm, I am ready and willing to die with you. If you get arrested, I'm arrested. Whatever it takes, I am going with you. Jesus said, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. He goes, no, no, you got it wrong again, Jesus. The story goes from this, they left the upper room and Jesus gave my favorite sermon that he's ever given and that's in John 15. On his way to the garden, he stops in a vineyard and he grabs his gnarly vine and he said, I am the true vine and you are the branches. Abide in me and I will abide in you and you will bear much fruit, fruit that lasts. Apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing of eternal value. You can do nothing. Abide in me, and I will abide in you, and you will bear much fruit. Oftentimes, I think in the church, we focus on the fact that when we're called to relationship with Jesus, we're called to eternity, we're called to salvation, we're called to freedom, and that is very true. But all the callings, when Jesus first called Peter in, in Luke 5, he said, 
follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. When in the, in the last sermon that he gave his disciples, he said, abide in me and I will abide in you and you will bear fruit. He calls us to a fruitful life on earth and he gives us eternity, yes. But he calls us to be eternally useful here on earth. And as they left that, they went into the garden and shortly thereafter, Jesus was arrested. Now Peter pulls out his sword and went to war. Now he was the man. Cut off that guy's ear. Jesus picks it up, puts it back on. You can imagine what Peter was thinking. He says, come on, Jesus, that was one of the best things I've ever done. You just undid it. And, and then they arrested Jesus and they took him away and Peter followed from afar and three times a little girl, a young woman, asked him, you are with him? And he said, no. Then the cock crowed and his eyes met with Jesus and he felt like a total failure. You know, there was a, a great boxer uh, some of you know Tyson. He once said, uh, everybody has a plan until you're punched in the mouth. And I think that's really true. Peter had a plan. But it wasn't God's plan. But God wasn't done with him. And now it brings us back to where I started this story with my father in John 21 where Peter, feeling like a complete failure, goes fishing with his six buddies. They're out there fishing, and they had caught nothing. And when a fisherman has caught nothing, the last thing he wants to hear is, did you catch anything? Don't want to hear it. But there was a man 100 yards away on the shore, said, friends, have you caught anything? They said, no, we haven't. He said, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And they did, and their nets were packed with fish once again, just like in Luke 5. John says, it is the Lord. Peter puts on his clothes, jumps in the water, starts swimming, and I'm just picturing, this isn't in the word, but I'm just picturing as he gets to the shore, he sees Jesus sitting there by the fire and he remembers the other fire that he stood around and denied his Lord. And he felt ashamed and his pace slowed. And Jesus said, come on, Peter, sit down, let's eat. Isn't it interesting that he fed the disciples before he ministered to them? He fed them. And he said, Peter, do you love me more than these? which is kind of an odd thing to say, but when he was in the upper room, he basically said, even if all these deny you, I won't. He was basically saying, I love you more than they do. So it was a reasonable thing to ask. But this time, Peter wasn't bragging. He says, Lord, you know everything. You, you know I love you. And two more times, Jesus asked that question. And two more times, Peter said, you know I love you. And three times, Jesus said, then feed my lambs. 
another time. And Jesus calls us to repentance, calls us to a relationship, and then calls us into his work, into ministry. I turned to my father. I said, Dad, isn't it amazing that Jesus, knowing how Peter felt, went to him by the sea, recreated a situation very similar to his original calling, as if to say, yeah, Peter, I know you, I know what you were going to do, and I know when I called you, and I'm calling you once again to be fishers of men. And then, knowing he denied him three times, he enabled him to confess his love three times and restore the relationship. And my father just looked at me and goes, wow. Amazed. Can we be amazed at the beauty of the gospel, at the beauty of who our Lord is? And yes, you and I both know that you and I are broken and over and over again we need to come to that fire and to confess our love, seek repentance. And every time he says, feed my lambs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for who you are. We want to thank you for your patience with us. We want to thank you for your forgiveness and enable us, Heavenly Father, to forgive as you have forgiven us. Help us to have that ability which is only from you, to forgive as you have forgiven us. Lord, set us on the right um, path in terms of uh, our relationship with our fathers, whether they're still here on earth or whether they're, they have gone ahead of us. And also, Lord, if we have relationships with our own children or grandchildren that are not pleasing to you, help us to have the courage to forgive and to seek forgiveness, to walk that road. And Father, I lift up all the fatherless on this island, especially these five boys that are so close to this church. And I ask right now that you would call out your men to feed your lambs by spending three hours a week with one boy that you have called them to. We thank you, Father, and we thank you for the gift of being able to call you Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name.